please, uh, to John's Gospel, chapter 18. John's Gospel, chapter 18. And I just want to read uh, the first three verses at this point. So John's Gospel, chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Sunday morning, uh, just before Easter Sunday morning, which is Resurrection Day, of course, we want to take a, a fresh look at Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an incredible story that portrays for us Christ's unwavering obedience to the Father's will, his tremendous display of power over his enemies, his amazing act of compassion to one of his assailants, the awful despicable, hellish betrayal by Judas and proof, if proof be needed, that no one, absolutely no one could take his life from him. He said, I lay down my life and I take it up again. Let me just, first of all, before we get into this, let me just uh, remind you of the sequence of events that led to the scriptures we have just read together. And Jesus had come into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, the foal of an ass. People were shouting their hosannas and throwing their palm leaves before him because they're absolutely convinced, of course, that he now was the Messiah, that he was going to set up his kingdom and kick those Roman pagans out of the land. But of course, what they didn't know and what he hadn't told them at this point was that he had come into Jerusalem to die. He had come to Jerusalem to give up his life to be the savior of the world. And then he met with his disciples in an upper room where there they had made ready a, a supper. And this would be what we became known as the Last Supper. And it was the time of the Passover. And so this was the final Passover meal. He had had Passover meals with them before, but this was the last one, just literally hours before he would go to the cross and die for you and die for me. And I just want to read a little bit from John 13 and what happened in that upper room. And I particularly want to just draw your attention to the character of Judas and how Jesus spoke to him. So in John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And so Satan had already put that thought in Judas's heart. And Judas had already gone and betrayed the Son of God with those priests and sold him out for a measly 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And so already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. There's another indication of his deity, his divinity. And so he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Evidently, there was no servant there to do that. And evidently, none of the disciples even thought to do this. I mean, they weren't thinking of servanthood at this point. They were thinking of they were going to sit on thrones when the king would raise up his kingdom. And so Jesus took this towel, took a basin of water, and then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Incredulously, he said, that. are you actually going to wash my feet? Actually, he should have been washing Jesus' feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. That's impetuous Peter, isn't it? And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Again, the extreme of Peter. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, of course, Jesus was teaching them servanthood, what it would be like to be a true servant, to humble yourself and wash feet. And, of course, there's a bigger meaning in that, isn't there? Whenever we became born again of the Spirit of God, we were washed in the blood of the Lamb. There was a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all, all their guilty stains. And that's what happened to us. We were spiritually cleansed and washed in the blood of the Lamb. But then as we go through life, our feet get dirty, as it were. We're tainted by the sins of this world and by our own sin. And so then we need fresh cleansing. Not a whole bath, but just cleansing for the times that we have sinned in our new life in Christ. But he said... Peter, but not all are clean. And of course, this is a clue. This is a big, big hint to Judas who's there because Jesus knew right from the beginning who it was who would betray him. He was under no doubt who it was. And Judas knew he was betraying Christ. And so Jesus here in his compassion and in his mercy, he's speaking in a way to Judas to waken him up before he would go beyond what he had already done. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, being your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But, verse 18, but I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And so here's another clue to Judas that Jesus telling him, I know what you have done. I know what you're doing. And I'm saying this, it's kind of cryptic, but he knew and Jesus knew, the disciples didn't, but they too knew. And then he quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. And of course, that was David speaking about 
the betrayal of Ahithophel towards David. David's loyal servant, his confidant, and how Ahithophel betrayed David. And so Jesus has his Ahithophel in Judas, who's betraying him. Now I tell you before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he receives whomever I send receives me. He receives me, receives him who sent me. Then he goes on to say, when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified, most assuredly, I say to you, here's the third time, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. So three times, Jesus is letting Judas know, hey, I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. I know you're betraying me. Notice it says he was troubled in spirit. Not troubled at what was going to happen to him because of the betrayal. He, he, he already had resigned himself to doing that, the Father's will. And then he would pray out in the garden a little bit later and agonize about what was going to happen to him personally. But here he's troubled about Judas. It's really troubling him when he sees the depths that Judas has sunk to. I mean, this man had walked with Jesus for over three years every single day. And he sees the depths that sin has dragged Judas down to, to even betraying the very Son of God. He was troubled in spirit. Sin troubles Jesus. It was sin. It was your sin and my sin that put him on the cross. Do you remember in John's gospel again how that Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who had died? He had been there four days. And whenever he saw Mary crying and breaking her heart and the family so distraught, it says he was troubled in spirit. It troubled him when he saw what sin had done to that family and how sin had brought death to his close friend Lazarus. You know, people die all the time. We know lots of people who die. But when it's your family, when it's a close friend, boy, it really hits home, doesn't it? You really feel the grief and the hurt. Well, Jesus felt what sin had done to Lazarus, had put him to death, literally, brought death into that family. And now he's troubled about what's happening to Judas, the depths he has sunk to. And so the disciples were perplexed when he says, one of you will betray me. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, because they're all leaning against, more or less against each other, sitting, not sitting in chairs around a table, but on couches around. So he's leaning quite close to Jesus. And leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, I'm convinced that he whispered this. And I'll tell you why in a moment. I'm convinced he whispered this then. He's sitting right beside him, right leaning up close. Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, and I'm convinced he whispered this back because none of the rest of them responded. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Other translation says he gave the sop. Now this was a piece of bread that he dipped in the sauce. 
And in this act of doing this, he's singling Judas out, but this was a, an honorable thing. This was a thing to do to somebody that you were giving honor to, that you were respecting. I mean, this is an amazing thing for Jesus to do. Apart from the fact that it singled out Judas, but to actually give him this thing of honor to him, as almost like the honored guest at the table, Jesus knowing what he had been doing, and yet he still does this. What grace and mercy he's showing to him. Just trying to get into his heart, you know, to soften him, to, to, to show him the love that Jesus had for him. And yet, Judas was unmoved. He was unmoved. He hadn't even blushed when Jesus said, one's going to betray me. And he knew who it was himself. Didn't even blush. Wasn't even moved. And Jesus said, it's he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Before Satan had put a thought in him, but now he literally is entering him. And this now, Judas has crossed the Rubicon. There's no return from this. He's completely and utterly taken over by Satan himself. Right up to that point, he could have backed down. Right up to that point, when Jesus offered him that sop, you know he could have stopped and said, Lord, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. I am a sinner. I have betrayed you. I'm so sorry. But he didn't. He didn't even flinch. And then Satan completely took him over. There was no turning back from this. There would be no repentance. There would be remorse later on, but no repentance. Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. In other words, get on with it. There's no turning back. Just get on with it. Just do it. Do it quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, he was a treasurer of the whole team, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Now, isn't it amazing that for over three years, Judas was part of that evangelistic team, as it were, and never once did any of those disciples suspect for a second that he would do such an awful, horrible, dastardly deed as this? Not once did they even suspect Judas. Judas hid it so well. For so long, Judas had been living a double life. For so long, he had been living and putting on a front before all the disciples. And he was so good at it that not one of them knew that. It just shows you the heart of man, how deceptive it can be. That even among the disciples, Jesus knew because nothing can be hid from the Son of God. But those disciples, spiritual men as they were, they didn't pick it up. It just shows you that people can't bluff their way. Even in ministry. Even in ministry. But God knows. Jesus knows. And so he went out, 
says, and it was night. And it was night. And it was dark. And it was night in the soul of Judas. Judas went out wrapped in a dark, evil cloak of betrayal. And he went out into the night. He left the light of the world to go out into the night. And so, whenever we read those scriptures at the beginning, it said that Judas came with a detachment of troops and officers. After Judas left the upper room, then they had their Passover meal. He wasn't at that Passover meal. He could have no part of that. Satan was in him now and had gone. But after the Passover meal, they would have sung a hymn. Then they left to go into the garden because Jesus was now going to pray. Because he knew he was literally ours from the cross. So he wanted to spend those few last hours praying to the Father. And you remember how the disciples he brought with him, they fell asleep. They literally fell asleep in the garden. And Jesus came back to, could you not watch with me one hour? Do you not understand what I'm going through? But they didn't. And they fell asleep. And then at last he came and says, rise up, he says, the betrayer is at hand. It's time, my hour has come. And so it says that Judas came with a detachment of soldiers, or a band, some of your translations may say. And the word here for detachment or band, it's a Roman cohort. And a cohort, we can't be definitive in this, but from what we understand, a cohort is anything from 300 to 600 men. Such a crowd of soldiers. Plus the temple guards, there'd be dozens of them, the temple guards. So there's a, a mass uh, of soldiers and guards, and they would come armed to the teeth. And the soldiers would have their swords and their spears, and the, and the temple guard would have their staves and their clubs and lanterns in their hands, and they came to arrest Jesus. What a crowd. In Mark 14 and Matthew 26, uh, the writers called it a multitude. Judas came with a multitude. So it lets us know it was a large, large crowd that came to arrest Jesus. Why such a large crowd, by the way? Well, maybe they thought that the disciples would, arrest, uh, would, would resist arrest even though there was only a dozen of them, but maybe they thought, you know, they'll resist arrest and there'll be a, a fight go on. Or maybe they thought, you know, some of them will escape. So we'll, we'll put the detachment around the whole garden to make sure not one of them escapes. Or maybe they thought, you know, if the word gets out, we're doing this among the populace. Maybe there'll be a riot. Maybe townspeople will come out and try to save him. Or maybe they just thought, you know, we know this Jesus of Nazareth has got power. Uh, we know that he heals people. We know that he, he broke bread and five small loaves and two small fishes and he fed 5,000. We know he walked on water. And we know, we know that he raised the dead even and that he, he healed blind eyes and made the dumb to speak and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. So there knows what he'll do. So we better have a good contingent to arrest him. And he came with lanterns. Now, this is the Passover time. This is the time of the... Passover's always at the full moon. So why, why the lanterns and the torches? Well, there was lots of caves and tombstones and things. So 
They assumed then that the disciples could run and hide in the caves and, and, and hide behind things. So they made sure there would be plenty of light so they could not hide. And so maybe for all of those reasons, uh, they came to arrest Jesus. And then in, in John 18 again, In verse uh, 4, it says, Therefore, Jesus, therefore, knowing that all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, if, if you were looking at your Bible and you look closely, you would see that the he is in italics. And that simply means that the translators, there was no word there, and they put the word, they added the word he in their minds to try to make grammatical sense of it. But actually, they didn't need to do that at all. They'd be far better leaving it. Because literally all Jesus did say was, I am. And I am and he used that terms before when he spoke about himself as I am. In John 8, 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. And then again in John 13, when he talked about this arrest that was going to happen, what Judas would do, he says, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. The translators put a he in there, but it's just I am, that I am. This was the same expression that God used to Moses when he was speaking about uh, himself uh, on Mount Horeb with Moses in Exodus uh, chapter 3, if I may just point this out to you. In Exodus chapter 3, you remember he met Moses at the burning bush, commissioned him to go back to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. But of course, he would have to go and speak to the, to the, to the Hebrews there, first of all. Uh, and Moses says, well, what, who am I going to say sent me? And And... And in chapter 3 of Exodus, uh, of Exodus, in verse 11, But Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you brought the, children, brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. This was the great name of God. I am, not I was, or I will be, or I could be, or I should be, but I am. And whenever Jesus spoke these words, I am, tremendous thing happened, didn't it? Let's just... Read that again in chapter 18 when he spoke these words. Uh, Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus then asked them, whom are you seeking? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Now, whenever 
Jesus used this tremendous term in verse uh, 5, 6. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. In the resonance it says they staggered and they reeled and they stumbled to the ground. When Jesus said that name, I am, tremendous spiritual power was released. There was a great surge of spiritual power went from Jesus into that cohort of soldiers and they reeled and they stumbled and they fell to the ground. Such was the power of just his word speaking. It shows you the power that Jesus had in that garden. Letting them know and everyone know that he was the one with the power, that he was the one with the authority. If they were going to arrest him, it would only be in his terms. It would be because he would allow them to do that. Such was the amazing power that he had over them. Do you remember when he stood before Pilate and Pilate says, do you not know that I have the power to take your life? And Jesus said, you would have no power at all over me except it was given you from above. In other words, letting him know and everyone know that I'm the one who's going to lay down my life. Nobody's going to take it from me. I'm going to lay it down. It'll be in my terms. So that's what he was doing in the garden. He was letting them know that his power and his authority was greater than theirs. And so... After he said, let these go. But notice what happens here. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now, you would think that after that demonstration of power, you would think, wouldn't you, that no one would have dared go near Jesus. But it shows you what sin is like and what evil is like. There's no off switch. It doesn't stop. It can't stop. It's driven by hell itself. You would have thought that whenever Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you would have thought that those scribes and Pharisees that were there that saw that happening, you'd have thought that would have changed them forever, but it didn't. In fact, they wanted to kill Jesus and put Lazarus to death also, even destroy the very evidence of that miracle. And so this priest, this servant of the high priest, Malchus, he makes the first move. Now, some say he was just a lowly servant, but the fact that John mentions his name and says he was a servant of the high priest. I think that lets us know this man was an official. And that he took the first step would also make me realize that he was an official. That he wasn't just a lowly slave here. And he came against Jesus and immediately Peter in anger he takes out his sword. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a swordsman. He'd never been trained in swordsmanship. He just took out that weapon he had that night and took it out and just slashed Malchus and just cut off his ear. And Jesus said, Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't need you to do this. 
This is all in the Father's plan. Of course, Peter didn't understand that. This was all in the Father's plan. But that's a bit like us, isn't it? When we don't understand sometimes the Father's plan and things start to go wrong and people come against us and things come against us, what's our immediate reaction? Just to lash out. Instead of trusting the Lord and say, Lord, you've got all this under control. I don't understand it all, but you understand it. You know what you're doing. And so he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, Caiaphas, the high priest, and Malchus would be Sadducees because the Sadducees were the ruling elite. There was the Sadducees and there was the Pharisees. The Pharisees would be the ones who would be orthodox. They would be the ones who would believe in the miracles of the Old Testament. Uh, You didn't have to convince them about the opening of the Red Sea. Uh, they would understand that and believe that all the miracles that the prophets did in the Old Testament, they believe every one of them, literally believe them, that they literally happened, just the way we would believe it, literally. But the Sadducees, they, they were the, the liberal wing of the religious people in those days. Uh, and they didn't believe in the supernatural at all. Uh, and they didn't believe any of those Old Testament miracles were literal and real. They would believe they were metaphorical or allegorical, but not categorical, not true and real. That there would just be something to tell a story, to present some truth with a story. They wouldn't believe that Adam and Eve were were a real couple. And you know, there's people like that today. There's the liberal branch of Christendom today who who don't believe in, in the supernatural, miraculous power of God. And everything they see as a miracle in the Bible, they just explain it away. It's just a story to explain some truth or some moral or something. And so that's still with us even to this day. But I wonder about Malchus. Because that's what he would believe. And whenever Peter cut off his ear, I wonder what he felt when Jesus, when he stooped down and picked that ear out of the dust and put it up to his head. And I was instantly, instantly healed. No microsurgery required. No skin grafting needed. Just that bloody ear lifted up from the dust and he just touched the side of his head and instantly that was completely whole and healed. I wonder what he felt. I wish the Bible would tell us, but it doesn't. It intrigues me. He could no longer not believe in the supernatural, surely, he could no longer deny it a miracle because he's just had an amazing one right, right before his very eyes. It's happened to him personally. We never know what he really thought of that. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it intrigues me. I wish I knew. And so the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall not I drink the cup which the Father has given me? In Matthew uh, chapter 26, verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and elders of the people. 
Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Friend? Even at this late hour, after he had betrayed him completely, he still addresses him as friend. What mercy, what grace, what love, what compassion has Christ, the Son of God, to those whom he loves. Does that encourage us? You know, sometimes you can sin, you can get into trouble, even backslide, do unspeakable things. And yet in the mercy of God, in the mercy of God, if we repent, Judas didn't, but if we repent, he'll still receive us. He'll forgive us. He'll wash our sins away. And so, when Jesus spoke those words, I am, tremendous power was released from Christ. And in Matthew 26, again, In verse 52, Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen thus? Peter, put away your sword. Do you not understand that if I didn't want to go through with this, if this wasn't the Father's will for me, do you not understand that all I have got to do is just call 12 legions of angels? There they would be in the, the battlements of glory, waiting a sign and a signal from Christ. He said, don't you think I could call them if I didn't want to go through with this? Put away your sword. This is in the perfect will of the Father. Now, a legion, by the way, is 6,000 men. 6,000 men. And 12 legion is 72,000 men. Do you know that the British army today, that their total army of Britain is about 72,000 men? <laughs> Jesus says, I could call 72,000 angels if I wanted to. Do you know... One angel, do you know how one angel, just one single angel. <laughs> In Isaiah 37, verse 36, one angel destroys 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Just one angel, just one. Can you imagine what 6,000 could do? Actually, for those of you who are a bit nerdy, and you wanted to get your computer out, actually it would be over a billion, by the way. And then if it was 72,000, it would be over 13 billion. In other words, Jesus is using a number here that's just astronomical. Just to show Peter, look, this is nothing. This is nothing. If I, I just got to call even one angel would be enough, more than enough to deal with this. But he didn't want to. Jesus came to save. He came to heal. 
He came to rescue. He didn't come to destroy men's lives. He came to save men's lives. <sighs> and so in Matthew 26, verse 57, it says these words. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. That phrase, they led him away, is apago. And apago is a word that's used in different settings, but it's often used as a word to describe a shepherd putting a rope around a sheep's neck and leading it where he wants it to go. A shepherd putting a rope around a sheep's neck and leading it where he wants it to go. Does that not remind you of Isaiah 53 and 7? He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. I would imagine when those soldiers came to Jesus to rest him, I imagine he would put his two hands out so they would tie him and bind him. He could have destroyed every one of them, but he didn't. He knew exactly what he had to do, and nothing and no one would stop it. And then as we begin to, to wind this up this morning, I want us to look at the betrayal by Judas. This is the greatest act of treachery the world has ever known. This is the most despicable deed that humanity has ever seen. The Judas kiss has become a byword for treachery. And that's the title of my message this morning, The Judas Kiss. It's a byword for treachery and betrayal. You wouldn't even call your dog Judas. In fact, you'd be insulting your dog to call it Judas. That's how bad this is. But let me just read these couple of scriptures. In Matthew 26, 45 to 50. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And when he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now this betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said unto him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hold on Jesus and took him. In Mark 14, verse 43 to 45. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Notice what he said, Rabbi, Rabbi. Now that would, that would be a normal greeting uh, for a teacher, for a rabbi. It would be recognized them as the teacher. He's the master, the teacher, rabbi. Rabbi, rabbi. But notice he never called him Lord. In fact, it's never 
Never once was it recorded that Judas ever called Jesus Lord. Because he wasn't his Lord. If he had been his Lord, he would not have done what he did. That's for sure. And then Luke 22, verse 47 and 48. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, listen to these poignant words. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Of all things, a kiss? Of all the ways that Judas could have given a sign to betray him, he chose a kiss. It's not just any kiss. You know, Paul said to the church later on to greet one another with a holy kiss. It would be a kiss on the cheek. But it was a kiss reserved to those whom you were very, very friendly with, those who, it was like a brotherhood, those whom you loved, those whom you respected and honored. And of course, I'm sure he had kissed Jesus many times, as all the disciples would have whenever they met and greeted. But it was special. It wasn't just for anybody and everybody. It was for those whom you loved, respected, and honored. And that's the very thing that Judas used to betray Jesus. Shows you the depths of his sin and his heart, how dark his heart was, that he used that beautiful thing, wonderful thing, a kiss, to betray Jesus. But that's like Satan, isn't it? You know, if you think about it, particularly with a married couple, God has given them intimacy, a physical relationship. It's meant to be pure and gracious and holy. And it's scriptural and it's godly. But Satan has taken that which is pure and good and right and he's ruined it and he's sullied it and stained it and made it awful and sinful and terrible and it's destroying lives. But that's just like Satan. Takes the good things of God and turns them around and tries to destroy with it. And here's Judas. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Never was there a more treacherous, dirty, dastardly deed in all of humanity than at that moment when he kissed the Son of God. He had sold him as a slave to religious people. And now the act to seal it was a kiss. It's awful, isn't it? It's terrible. And Jesus stood there knowing exactly what Judas would do, knowing the moment when that would come. And he says, are you betraying me with a kiss, Judas? Can you really believe that you're doing this to me with a kiss? You know, Jesus said in John 10, he says, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Think of this as we close. Judas kissed the very door of heaven, but he didn't enter in. He kissed the very door of heaven, but he didn't enter in. Wouldn't it be awful 
to get that close, to kiss the door of heaven and not get in? You know, there's some people that go through all of their life and they go to church all of their life, but they're not going to get to heaven. There's some people who have been through Sunday school and through the youth in church and have served in the church, maybe sings in the choir, but they're not going to get to heaven. They came so close, kissed the door, but were not able to go in. Why? Because they never asked Christ to save their eternal soul. They're not born again of God's spirit. They get close, but not close to go in. Judas kissed the very door of heaven, but he didn't go in. Don't let that happen to you. Don't get so close and think you're okay and then miss going through the door. Give your life to Christ. What a wonderful Savior we have today. Such power, but such grace. Such power, but such humility that goes with it. That's our Savior today. That's the one whom we love and we serve today. How could you not love him and serve him after all that he has done for us? After what he has given for us and to us? Aren't you glad you kissed the door and went in? I'm certainly glad. I'm glad I had that opportunity all those years ago, 48 years ago. And here I am today, still serving him and living for him and doing all I can to reach others with the wonderful, glorious message of his gospel. Amen? Come, we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your supreme sacrifice on Calvary. And even though we have seen the horrible betrayal and the Judas kiss, but yet in your great love and mercy, you kept pleading with Judas, giving him every opportunity to repent and to turn back, but he didn't. Lord, we thank you that you were merciful to us. We thank you that you pleaded with us, some of us for years, before we finally surrendered to you. But we give you thanks for that, that today that we're born again of your spirit, that we have gone through the door and that we know you personally and that you have made us fit for your heaven. You've given us your righteousness. You took our sins and you gave us your righteousness in exchange. So we thank you for that. Help us now, Lord, as we look forward to next Sunday, God willing, to be in your house together as the family of God and to think of the wonderful, glorious, mighty resurrection. Lord, it's exciting to know that because you rose again, that we will live also and that we will rise again unto life eternal. So we praise you and we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.